Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. It is our season finale episode. Those are usually solo episodes for me and today is no exception. Um, I actually am excited and a little nervous for today's topic. I want to talk about something that I have been thinking about for a number of months, but I have been too scared to talk about it, quite frankly. Well, actually, maybe scared isn't the right word. I just wanted to make sure I was handling it in a wise way. So we're going to see if I can do that today, Um, but it's going to be a good one. And the topic is the idea of the farmfluencer, the rise of the farmfluencer online, and um, kind of what I think of that and how it bodes for the homesteading movement. So it's going to be juicy. Uh, before we get into all of that, I want to say a quick thank you to this episode's sponsor, Toops & Co. Uh, they are my number one favorite brand for skincare and makeup. I don't wear a lot of makeup, but when I do, I want to make sure that it doesn't have all the junk ingredients that a lot of the conventional uh, lines have. So Tubes & Co. is a small family-run business. I know the owner personally. They have really, really clean, amazing ingredients. And you've probably heard me talk about it before, but I am obsessed with their beef tallow balm. It's what I use on my face as a moisturizer. It is the best for skin. And Tubes & Co. does a really good job of blending it with some amazing natural scents. And so if you have any hesitation about using animal fats on your skin, which I get it, there could be a little bit of an ick factor there. You don't have to worry about that with Tubes & Co. So if you want to give their stuff a try, whether that's makeup or beef tallow balms or deodorant or the many other products they have, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash makeup and use code HOMESTEAD to save 15% on your order. Okay, so at the uh, end of each season, I usually do these solo episodes and I give a little bit of a life update. So I thought I'd do that really quickly before we get into the main topic today. Um, So where do we want to start? First off, I'm still actively pruning our life. You probably remember that episode if you listened a few weeks back. Um, I talked about auditing our systems and our finances and our businesses. And so we're still working on some of those things. Although I feel that season shifting a little just because it's now the beginning of March. And even though we have a lot of winter left in Wyoming, you know how the air just feels lighter? You can just feel the change. The days are getting longer. You can just sense that on the air. So that's coming. Um, and we have snow on the ground. We're supposed to get more snow next week. We have a lot of snow in our future still. But we planted some of our greenhouse beds. We started some seeds in my basement. So I'm feeling that shift from cleaning, purging, auditing into growth. So I'm excited uh, for that. Also, a big part of our growth plans for this year is the upcoming book. And I should have a cover to share with you within the next couple of weeks. The publisher's working on that now. Um, Super excited for the book to have a face because it's always a really big moment. Um, We're working on wrapping up the final, final edits. We started talking about when I'm going to record the audio version this summer. So it's getting really, really exciting. Pre-orders are open. So if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or bookshop.org or preferably your favorite local indie bookstore, you can place a pre-order for Old Fashioned On Purpose. And um, pre-orders are really, really important for authors. So if you want to just 
give a little show of support, I would so appreciate you you pre-ordering. You'll get the book the week it launches. Um, and you don't have to remember or worry about it. It just shows up in your mailbox. And it goes a long way in helping it to make a splash. So more to come on that soon. But I'm getting really excited about it. A book is like... I know this is a worn out cliche, but it's literally like having a baby. But the gestation period is much, much longer than an actual baby. It's like a three-year gestation period. So I'm excited. Um, what else have we been up to? The soda fountain's been plugging along. We're slower in the winter, which is okay because we kind of get to regroup and get our bearings after crazy summers. We remodeled one of our back rooms to make a better kitchen space. And what we're hoping to do with that is to increase our homemade food options. We do pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty happy with a lot of our recipes, but there's a lot of limitations when you own a restaurant. Before I bought the soda fountain, I just would have assumed, well, everyone should just make all the restaurant food from scratch. It's not always that easy, especially when you know I'm not there every day. And I have a great team of employees, but not everyone's a baker or a cook uh, or a chef. And so there's some things you have to take into consideration. But I'm excited to have this new prep room because I think we're going to be able to increase our from scratch options. We're also... I'm excited and nervous about this. We're working on homemade soda syrups. Up till now, well, the previous owner also kind of rolled into it, but um, we've been using just your typical like coffee house syrups for some of our soda and shake flavors and like our our Coke fountain sodas. We have a the fountain arm on our counter, but the Coke syrup was just a we get it from Coke just in a bag like you would get in a regular fountain machine, which is fine, you know, whatever. But I'm like, what if? we could do it the real old-fashioned way and make our own syrups. So we have been experimenting with that. Um, it is not easy. <laughs> it is it is difficult. Also, when you really start to break down what does Coke taste like? I don't know. What does Coke taste like? I, no one can answer that question. It tastes like Coke. So trying to get those flavors right, we, we came across a really, really good root beer syrup that I think is close. It uses molasses and a bunch of herbs. Um... And it tastes legit like root beer, but it doesn't have high fructose corn syrup or caramel coloring or artificial anything. So we're close on the root beer. The Coke is in progress. We have a bunch of other flavors that are literally just made with herbs and cane sugar instead of corn syrup that we're close. So anyway, if you come by the soda fountain this summer, hopefully we'll have those uh, out and available. But it's it's kind of a big leap to take to go from conventional sodas to homemade sodas. So if anyone has any experience in this field shoot me an email. I'd love to chat. <laughs> um, as far as genuine beef, our beef business, we just started calving. I think Christian said there was two calves on the ground as of today. So that's a crazy time of life because you're checking all night. We'll calve our heifers first and they heifers are cows who haven't had calves yet. So they need extra help. They sometimes get confused and they don't know what's happening and they forget that they had a baby or they get scared when the baby comes out of them or they leave their babies. And so um, just a lot more drama when it comes to heifers. So we have to watch those all night long. And we take turns with the friend we lease ground from. So it's not like it's all us, but it still adds a level of complexity to our life. Um, we are still shipping out lots of boxes of genuine beef uh, all over the United States each week. Thank you so much to everyone who has supported that side of things. If you want to place an order for Wyoming raised grass-finished beef, you can go to genuinebeefco.com. Um, and just so you know, we added signed Pray Homestead cookbooks to the beef website. I have not been able to offer signed cookbooks as of recently until now because um, I just it's just hard to do that unless you see me in person. But now we can ship those through the beef website. So if you want to sign the cookbook, 
you can get one there. All right. So that is my life in a very fast nutshell uh, up till now. So let's get into the good stuff. Um, this idea of the farm fluencer. And actually, I kind of wanted to take a step back before we get into the farm fluencer part and just talk about the homesteading movement as a whole right now, the niche or whatever you want to call it, online homesteading, whatever. Um, I'm going to be really honest. I'm kind of struggling with it right now, which is a weird place to be in because I have been in the middle of the homestead online movement since 2010, basically. So it's been a place I call home, a place I consider my place online, my niche. Um, I was one of the original people to start creating content in those spaces and start talking about it. Uh, I feel kind of like the grandma of of homestead blogging because when I started my Prairie Homestead blog, like no one else was doing it or very, very few people were doing it. And so it's that familiar cozy place online, but lately it feels, it has started to feel foreign to me. Um, And again, I've kind of debated talking about this because I didn't want to come across as negative or like uh, resistant to change. I don't like like it when, you know, our brains sometimes just tell us that all change is bad or all growth is bad. That's that's not how I want to be. That's not how I think. That's not how I operate. So I, I just was like, I, how? why am I feeling this way? Um, and I kind of had to spend some time examining why I've just felt uncomfortable with where things are going. And so I maybe don't have the full answer to that yet, but I have some thoughts and that's what I wanted to share today. So what I see happening in this online homesteading movement. Uh, I see two extremes forming, which the whole world is forming into extremes right now. So it would make sense, I guess, that the homestead movement would follow in those tracks. Um, and both of these extremes, though, they concern me. So the first extreme that I see shaping up, I talked to this, talked about this a few episodes ago about when I talked about the egg conspiracy. <laughs> um, but I see this niche market of the homesteading world turning into this idea that the world is ending, everything is bad, everything is horrible, like, uh, it's getting really paranoid. It's this idea that everyone's out to get us. Um, And I think, you know, that idea, that mindset has always been around. But thanks to the internet and how it operates, those people are, I think, they're finding more sounding boards and they're getting louder. And I don't see this a ton, honestly, in my feeds because I stay away from it. I don't watch those type of YouTube channels. I don't generally, I don't, I don't even know a lot of those people just because I don't run in those circles. It's not, it's not my topic of choice. But a, a few weeks ago, I won't go into the details. It came into my periphery on Twitter and on Facebook. And I just saw some conversations happening and it just, it made me sad because it just was like, man, this isn't what homesteading is. It's not fear. It's not paranoia. It's not us versus them all the time. Like, sure, there are systems in our world that are broken and there are things that we need to address. And um, our food system isn't great. Our healthcare system isn't great. You know, what happened during the whole COVID thing was weird and crazy. And there was a lot of a lot of issues there and a lot of things I could talk about that I'm not going to talk about today. So I, I get some of those concerns, but I think when we get into that realm of wild-eyed fear, um, not only is it not good for us, but we lose our credibility. And what I've seen happening, unfortunately, is it's starting to push people away from the homesteading movement because they're seeing this extreme fear, paranoia, and they're like, I don't want a piece of that. I don't want that. Um, I, I subscribe to this service that 
sends me an email whenever certain search terms pop up online, whether it's in an article or it's in a message board or whatever. And so I have um, not only my name in there, so I can see if someone's um, posting an article about me or whatever, but I have words like homesteading movement to trigger an email. And so I've been getting emails recently of conversations on message boards and stuff where people are, when they're talking about the homesteading movement, they're kind of talking about it in negative terms because it's got so much paranoia surround it, surrounding it. And that just makes me sad. I hope that's not where we continue to go. I hope that we can um, kind of write ourselves and acknowledge that, yeah, there's things in our world that aren't great, but not everyone is out to get us all the time. And I think some of you may disagree with me on that. I know there's lots of different worldviews that come and listen to this podcast, which I think is wonderful. Um, but that's where I stand. I hope that we don't get so fear, fear-based fear in this homesteading world that we ruin our credibility and push people away from this lifestyle. So that's the one extreme that's kind of been bothering me. And then there's this other extreme on the far other side that I also think <clears throat> is concerning a little bit, and that is the rise of the farm fluencer. And I don't really even know if that's the official term, but that's what I'm calling it. Uh, in essence, I mean, you guys, I'm sure you have seen it, even if you don't call it Farmfluencer. It's also sometimes called cottage core, but basically it's those homesteading or farm accounts, usually on Instagram, because Instagram is such a, a visual platform. It happens on YouTube or it happens on websites and other places, but they're very, very aesthetically driven, kind of aesthetically pleasing is their whole mission throughout all their content. You know, they have these beautiful historic homes and farmhouses that are just beautiful. Like they're gorgeous. They're Martha Stewart worthy. Um, they're, they're stunning. Their, their kitchens are perfectly curated with, you know, the appliances are out of sight. So you don't, they don't look modern and it's got fresh flowers all the time and everything's just amazing. And a lot of the times the women who are in these photos are wearing dresses or historically appropriate outfits. I've seen a lot of white linen out in the garden. Like it's like the favorite, like these white linen flowing dresses and aprons and their hair is cascading down as they're picking the vegetables. And it's beautiful. Like these photos are so beautiful. And I totally understand why this, these, this movement of farm influencing is rising because it's such a contrast to our culture, which is uh, really technology heavy. And we have screens everywhere and we have a lot of plastic and, and life isn't beautiful. Life is very industrial feeling. So I get the contrast and I understand the draw towards those. Here's my concern. And I've seen this echoed more and more online. And so I thought it would be a good topic because I think some of you are feeling this same way. But what bothers me about this is that homesteading or whatever you want to call it, returning to your roots, old-fashioned on purpose, farming, I don't care what you call it, but you know, you, the general idea, homesteading, it's more than aesthetics, right? And when we reduce it to just aesthetics, we're doing it a disservice because I think it's sometimes, not always, but it can sometimes distract us from the most important task at hand and that bigger vision of why we're doing that. And for me, and I think many of you as well, the reason that the idea of homesteading drew us in in the first place is because we're looking for those higher measures of independence, those greater levels of personal responsibility and better food right? We, the industrial food system is very broken. We know that. We acknowledge that. It's not a secret. So how can we work past that? Well, we can take ownership of what we're eating and what we're growing, and we can put it back in that power back into the hands of the individual. And so that to me 
is the ultimate mission of the homestead world. Um, sometimes doing those things, hap- they, they happen in an aesthetically pleasing and a beautiful way. But a lot of the times, they don't. A lot of the times, growing food is hard and messy and dirty and ugly. And there are plenty of times when cooking food is the same way. It's chaotic and it's cluttered or I have kids running through the kitchen. Um, And so I just want to make sure that as we move into this next era of homesteading, as it's becoming more trendy and popular, I I just hope that the core ideas of the movement stay at the forefront. And I know for me personally, you know, when I started homesteading, I didn't know anybody else who was doing it. I didn't really even know other people online that were doing it. I, I really felt like I was kind of blazing this path. I know I wasn't the only one, but in my own circles, I was the only one, right? I know if times were different than when I started, and if all I had exposure to was these beautiful accounts with perfectly staged and curated photos at the beginning of my journey, that would have been extremely discouraging for me. Because when I started... We didn't have a lot of money. Our house was so ugly. Our homestead was so ugly. (laughs) Um, My kitchen was ugly. My dishes were ugly. My chickens were ugly. Like I didn't have anything pretty, but I still found so much joy in just taking the baby steps and figuring things out and doing the hard things. And so I just hope that as we share homesteading, and I'm, I'm talking to those of you who are content creators and influencers, I hope that we can continue to make it inviting to those who are new. And it doesn't mean we can't show the pretty pieces because there are beautiful parts and it's fun to share those, but I I don't want to get lost in the weeds. So that was my little note to the the content creators. I want to share a few things to those of you listening who are new to homesteading and maybe you're feeling a little bit less than because of the photos you're seeing online. Now, a quick caveat, side note there. Um, just because something triggers something in us, a feeling of jealousy, envy, uncomfortableness, doesn't mean that it's bad, right? And sometimes, often, it's not, if, if, if a photo triggers you or makes you feel uh, weird or, or unhappy inside, it's not the content creator's fault. That's something that you get to work on. You get to recognize those feelings, acknowledge those feelings, and then decide why you're feeling like that. Is it, is it something you need to change in your life or is it just something you need to ignore? So I'm not saying that we should only ever post... Um, unaspirational things to make everyone happy. It's totally not what I'm saying. But for those of you who are new, uh, who are starting in this lifestyle and you're not sure if you can keep up with the Instagram accounts, here's a few little thoughts for you. So as someone who has homesteaded for close to 15 years now, I want to reassure you that homesteading is rarely pretty. Well, at least for me. Maybe Maybe I'm the weirdo. Maybe for everyone else, it's pretty. And that's why it's easy to post those pictures online. But I'm guessing that's not the case. Homesteading in my world is rarely pretty. If you could see my front yard right now, you would probably feel a lot better about whatever you're dealing with because it is horribly, horrendously ugly. I have giant towers of dirty snowdrifts, like dirty, like the dogs and the children have been running across these snowdrifts for weeks. They are matted down. Everything is brown. There are no leaves on the trees. Um, the prairie is brown. The grass has been eaten down from last year. We were in a drought, so there's not a lot of growth. Uh, there's mud. My chickens are molting. The chicken coops are messy because it's been too frozen to clean everything out. It's real ugly right now. And that's really, really normal because it's winter. And sometimes it's ugly in the summer too. 
And that's also normal. Farms are filled with poop and dirt and animals, which make more poop and dirt. And that's just part of the process. So uh, it's okay if, if what you're doing isn't aesthetically pleasing all the time. Another point that I'd love to share is that I think sometimes don't people don't realize how much effort and money it takes to make things look old-fashioned. And this this is frustrating to me because I wish it was as easy as, you know, pulling the sheetrock off your walls and there you go, you have an old-fashioned house. But it's just not how it works. And when we built our house addition, our remodel back in 2015, I learned that really, really quickly. Uh, that, you know, my initial thought was I want old-fashioned looking walls. I want exposed beams and I want wood paneling and all the shiplap. And then we priced that out. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that is not going to happen. So you know what we did? We put up sheetrock, good old-fashioned, modern sheetrock. Sheetrock is not my favorite. I don't love orange peel texture, but that's what I got because that was that's what was in the budget. So I love a picture of a home that's got all the legit old wood paneling and plaster and all that, but that takes a lot of time and money. And if you don't have that, it doesn't mean you're not a homesteader. It doesn't mean you can't homestead. It's just meaning you're modern homesteading. You're doing all these old-fashioned skills in a modern setting, and that's perfectly okay. The same thing applies to a lot of tools, kitchen tools, outdoor tools. Um, you can get really decent tools that aren't made from plastic or cheap cheap materials. Um, you can get those all over the place, but they might not be as pretty as an old-fashioned tool, right? And I have a few old-fashioned knives and I have some wooden spoons that I love and I love my stoneware, bread pans and my baking dishes. And those are awesome. But I also have some just plain old, regular old person modern kitchen tools. Um, and I kind of laugh to myself every time I use them. Like, for example, I have this old red plastic KitchenAid potato peeler. <laughs> and it's ugly and modern and whatever. I use it all the time. I got it as a wedding present. I still have it in my drawers. And every time I pull it out to peel a potato, I'm like, oh, that account would never have this potato peeler because you can just see how they've like curated every single one of their kitchen tools. That's so cool. It looks amazing in their videos when every single one of their pieces on their kitchen counter look like it's from the 1800s. I love it, but I don't have that either. Um, And I've been homesteading for 15 years. It just is not something that's a priority for me. So you get to decide where you want to put your budget into making things aesthetic, or maybe you just decide the aesthetics aren't as important and you're going to put the budget towards saving up for the milk cow oh, or redoing the chicken coop or expanding your garden. It's all okay. It's all good. Okay. Point number three I want to share with those of you is pretty things aren't always functional. Again, this was a concept that I butted up against so much in the early years. And Christian and I would have like fights over it because I would be like, I, this, we're going to do this project, but it has to be pretty. And he's like, number one, I can't make it pretty. Or number two, pretty is not going to last here in Wyoming. Or number three, um, pretty is going to be way more expensive. So take my greenhouse, for example. You guys have seen pictures of my greenhouse more than likely. It's an amazing greenhouse. It wasn't cheap either. It was an investment. We got it from Greenhouse Megastore. I have a couple episodes on it in previous seasons, if you want to listen in, but it's a beautiful greenhouse. It was an investment, but it's not a beautiful greenhouse. It's a, a, what do you, what do you want to call it? A using greenhouse. It's just your typical standard functional conventional greenhouse. It grows beautiful homemade organic or homegrown organic food inside, but it doesn't look like an English uh, cottage greenhouse. I priced those ones out 
They were made of glass instead of plastic and they had beautiful architectural lines. And that was not in the budget. So I had to choose between, do I want to save up 15 years for a beautiful English cottage appropriate greenhouse? Or do we want to put in a greenhouse that's still really great, but it's not as beautiful and I can start growing food right away? Okay, so there's that that balance. Um, another silly little fight that Christian and I had so much at the beginning is I would see all, this was early, early internet years. I would go on Pinterest and see all these people who had these amazing like wood furniture sets out on their deck and they were farmhousey and romantic and beautiful. And I'm like, I want that. So I would go to garage sales and bring home wood furniture that would look kind of cool and old fashioned. And I would paint it or distress it or make it look shabby chic because that was in. And then Christian would be like, that's not going to last. And I'd be like, watch me. I'll make it last. Well, he was right. It did not last. It would last like a year. And then the chair legs would fall apart. The table would crack. And it, it my shabby chic farmhouse table um, that somehow everyone else on the internet could keep out on their front porch could not survive on my front porch. So I had to learn, you know, what's functional. Well, metal furniture is functional. Sometimes it's hard to find super old fashioned metal furniture, but you, you just compromise, right? So not, I don't have the most farmhouse appropriate deck furniture, but we can sit in it and we serve people food and it's awesome, right? So it's okay to balance functional versus pretty. And sometimes functional wins out. And in fact, in our life, most of the time, functional wins out. Um, and the last thing I want you to keep in mind is homesteading takes time on its own, right? Just growing food, <clears throat> excuse me, cooking food, um, keeping animals alive. That takes a lot of time. And what I found that takes even more time is when you're trying to keep things staged on top of doing the homesteading efforts. And so if you don't have time for that, it's okay. It's totally fine. In fact, that's a big part of the reason I stopped doing YouTube videos. And my YouTube videos were not really staged. You saw me in all different uh, levels of crazy hair and no makeup and kids running around and you know messy kitchens and stuff. But um, when I was in the middle of a homestead project, constantly moving the camera talking to camera, stopping the video, moving the camera again, shooting another shot, moving it. Like I just ran out of time and I couldn't focus on the project because I was so worried about shooting the content. Um, and that's amplified even more when you're trying to make it the content pretty while you're doing the project and make sure you stay, you know, your clothes stay clean and your makeup stays unsmudged. And so sometimes it just doesn't lend itself well to that. Like if you're, if you're in the trenches of homesteading, it, things aren't going to be pretty. They're not going to be staged. And that's, that's okay. So that's my encouragement to those of you who are starting out and you're you're inspired by the beautiful aesthetic accounts on Instagram or Pinterest or YouTube, but you're not quite sure if you need to go all the way. Like you don't have to go all that way. It's okay to be inspired by that, but know that you can do this in your own fashion. So I think my biggest hesitation in talking about this is I don't want to come across as negative. And I think there's a lot of really, really good parts about this farmfluencer content explosion. And I think it's brought in people into our world, our homesteading world, that never would have found it before, right? They never would have considered watching someone bake sourdough bread on a TikTok video because that wasn't even in their 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 area of knowledge. So I'm thankful that it's broadened awareness to this lifestyle. But I, And I just hope that people watching those videos will just take it deeper because that's where the good stuff lies. Um, when we get beyond just the aesthetics and we get into why we're doing this, why we 
feel drawn to bread? Why do we feel drawn to pictures of a farm? Why do we have those secret urges to get chickens? I think getting into that lays open the the root of all this. And that's that I think our culture is tired of our industrial world. I think we're getting we're getting exhausted by nonstop convenience. I think we're feeling those twinges and those stirrings in us that we want something more meaningful, something more real. And I truly believe that homesteading or being old-fashioned on purpose or whatever you want to call this thing, I think that holds so many of the answers. And I think that's why COVID aside, COVID really boosted the movement, but I think that we were feeling those tugs before COVID and then the chaos of that time even amplified it more. So I hope that the people, and if you're listening to this and you somehow found me and you're one of those people who are feeling drawn to the farm life um, or the sourdough bread or you love watching chicken videos, that's awesome. I hope you keep digging into that and figure out ways that you can partake in that lifestyle. Even if you don't live on a farm, even if you're never going to move, even if you live in a 1985 rancher in the middle of the suburbs and not a 1880s clapboard farmhouse. Like there's so many ways that you can take charge and the aesthetics are awesome and they're inspiring, but it doesn't end there. So we all put our best foot forward on online. And I I feel like that's not necessarily a bad thing. I do it right. I'm going to post a pretty picture over an ugly picture because posting pretty pictures are more fun. When I post a pretty picture of um, my cows walking across the prairie and the lights bouncing off their hide just right and the sun is setting, like that's what gets engagement. So there's nothing wrong with, with posting the pretty things. When we have friends over to our house, you know, most of the time I clean off the counters and try to sweep up the majority of the dog hair, never get all of it. That's fine. That's natural. But I, I think a really great question to ask ourselves and myself included as a content creator is, would we continue to do the things we're doing even if no one saw? Would we continue to stage our kitchen even if no one saw? Would we continue to milk the cow even if no one saw? And hopefully the answer is yes. You would you do those things because you love them. You do those things because you light them up and creating content around it is just a bonus. Um, And I truly believe there's enough natural beauty to the homesteading life that we don't have to force it, right? Your tomato plants will be pretty even if they are in a simple garden. They don't have to be in an elaborate, um, perfectly landscaped garden. You want to know a secret? A lot of people talk about my raised beds, which we built kind of out of functionality. I also wanted them to be pretty. We built them a number of years ago. And, And they have some of the pictures I posted of them online have done really well. People love to look at them because it's impressive when you see all those beds lined up and they're full of things growing out the sides. If I moved tomorrow and had to start over, I wouldn't build those raised beds again Um, because I think I got a little caught up when I built them on them being aesthetically pleasing and there's pieces of their functionality I don't love. And I think I, uh, I'm not, I don't regret them per se. I still use them and they work great. And if you've built them because you saw my picture, I don't, I don't think you should regret that at all. That's not what I'm saying. But um, I think there's so many ways to create an in-ground garden, the old-fashioned way that are just as beautiful and just as effective. So just because you see pictures of raised beds like mine or someone else's on social media doesn't mean that's how you have to do your garden. There's, there's lots of different ways to live this um, life. And I think, I hope um, 
that we don't lose sight of that because so many of us are drawn to this lifestyle because of its realness, right? That's what's resonating with people. The realness, the back to basics, getting back to the essence of what makes us human and what we eat and how we interact with nature and how we interact with our communities. But what happens when that's no longer real? What happens when we have to stage it to make it sell? I think that defeats the purpose and that's what pushes people away. So I think at the end of the day, I just don't want homesteading to turn into a caricature on either side, on either extreme, on the the world is in the extreme or the homesteading has to be this perfectly staged, curated life. I think the answer, as it always does, lies somewhere in the middle. And we can take the pretty and enjoy the pretty and also know that when it gets hard and muddy and messy and bloody and sad, that's just as real and just as important as the days when we are outside and and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the light's just perfect for that Instagram photo. So to wrap it all up and put a bow on it, and hopefully, I mean, I say hopefully, I know the odds of some of the things I said today being misconstrued are high. And I'm, I'm guessing that people will probably say that I'm hypocritical in saying some of these things because we have what some people consider a beautiful homestead. You know, it didn't start out beautiful here. You've seen pictures of where we started. It was horrendously ugly and neglected. But over the years, we've built it up to be what we want it to be. It's not done yet, but it's there's parts of it that are beautiful. And I'm thankful for my greenhouse. And I'm thankful for my raised beds. and thankful for the shop we built. Thankful for the house remodel. And I'm not against growth and change and improvement. I think that's a really important part of our, of anyone's journey. Um, but I just hope we don't lose sight in our desire to make homesteading aesthetically pleasing. We don't lose sight of what really matters, that people are waking up to the industrial system, that people are asking questions, that people are taking charge of their health and their food, that people are reconnecting with their communities and nature. And that's the really important stuff. And that's where the good stuff lies. And none of that has to happen in an Instagram-worthy clapboard farmhouse with a big old front porch. So if you love pretty pictures on Instagram, that's fantastic. If you want to spend time even dressing up for the camera and photographing yourself in different environments, I think that's, you know, your your thing. You do you, more power to you. Um, I just hope that we could all continue to remember the root of what we're doing and why we're doing it and continue to infuse realness so people know that what we're doing is attainable and we can bring more people in. My goal is for everyone to be partaking in a piece of this old-fashioned life, whether that's growing something on their counter or trying their hand at sourdough or getting to know their neighbors face-to-face or putting their hands into the soil. I no longer believe, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, I no longer believe this is just a niche thing that should happen to those of us who are into homesteading. I really believe that these skills and actions are part of what makes us human, and we can't afford to leave those behind. We need to figure out ways that everybody can have a piece of that in their own way. So that is my sermon for today. (laughs) Um, Know that I am thankful for this homesteading movement, even though sometimes it makes me crazy online. I think it's so good that it is growing and there is awareness happening. So... Thanks for being here, guys. Uh, I'm going to take a short break from the podcast after this episode. We'll resume in a couple of weeks, as we always do. In the meantime, if you want to stay up on the things that I've been doing, I send out a newsletter every Wednesday. It's very conversational. It's very personal. It's thoughts. It's um, 
things I've been enjoying. My episode this past week was on my favorite podcast that I've been listening to. It just kind of depends, but it's it's just a really simple way to get a letter from my homestead to yours. You can sign up for that. It's totally free over at theprairiehomestead.com slash letter. So thanks for being here, friends. Thanks for sharing your homesteading with the people around you. I know so many of you are doing amazing things all over the United States, all over the world, and you are bringing more people into this amazing lifestyle. And I think that's so important. And I want to say, keep up the good work. So thanks for listening. And we'll catch up on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.